0: Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect program. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the program, please press star then zero on your touch-tone telephone. And as a reminder, this program is being recorded.
1: At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's program, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Well, thank you
2: very much, Mary. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop, Understanding Peripheral Neuropathy. This is a critically important topic that I know many of you are struggling with, and we have a lot of wonderful speakers today who can address this issue for you. Today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care Care and a number of other cancer organizations, and it really is because of that collaboration that we have been able to reach so many of you on the call. Now, I know you can't see each other, but I'm going to tell you that we have over 1,031 people on this call today. So this is a very large call, and I have to say that you come from all over the United States, from large cities and small cities, from suburban areas, as well as rural and frontier communities. And we also have international participants from Canada, Pakistan, Puerto Rico, Syria, Venezuela, and the United Kingdom. So you really come from all over the world, and it's a credit to each of you that you've chosen to spend the next hour with us. Now, I want to turn your attention for a moment to the materials you received from Cancer Care. In those materials, is an outline that our speakers have prepared And there also is an evaluation form, and I would ask you to take a moment and complete that evaluation form. When you think about it, who but each of you can best tell us the topics that you would like us to offer in the future? Indeed, this topic is one that was asked for by many of you by popular demand. We're offering this topic because many of you said we need a a program on this topic. So please tell us um, the topics you'd like us to offer in the future, and we will try very hard to um, implement what you ask of us to do. Today's program was made possible by an educational grant from Sanofi Aventus, US LLC, and I really want to thank them for their support of our program today. We have wonderful speakers on our program today. I want to start with our first. Uh, Our first speaker is Dr. Nessa Coyle. Uh, Dr. Coyle is with the Pain and Palliative Care Service, Department of Medicine, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and she is going to provide an overview of peripheral neuropathy She's going to talk about the contributing factors. She's going to describe how to describe neuropathy to your health team. She's going to give you some tips on that. And also the medications
3: that are used to treat the discomfort and pain. Dr. Coyle? Uh, thank you very much, Carolyn. And also I'm very pleased to be part of this program. Um, peripheral neuropathy can be um, a real problem which interferes with quality of life for um, people, um, cancer survivors, and those uh, under cancer treatment. So what exactly is peripheral neuropathy? Um, When peripheral nerves don't function properly or cause unusual sensations, the term neuropathy is used. This can occur in one nerve or in several nerves. Neuropathies are generally associated with some sort of uh, change in sensation or in some sort of motor dysfunction. Uh, Peripheral neuropathy can be a side effect of some cancer treatments, although there are many other causes of neuropathy. And neuropathies are not always painful. Um, I think it's helpful to understand a little bit about uh, the peripheral nervous system so that one can understand why these strange sensations can occur. So peripheral nerves are nerves that are outside of the brain and spinal cord. (coughs) The peripheral nerves are categorized as either motor or sensory in function. The motor fibers are larger, and they help you to move and to maintain muscle tone. The sensory fibers are much smaller and more numerous than motor fibers, and they're responsible for the passage, for example, of pain and heat and cold. Also, touch and pressure are positioned to know where you are in space, your position sense. And also, um, they are responsible for autonomic system signals, for example, your blood pressure control. Uh, the symptoms associated with peripheral neuropathy depend on which nerve is involved, the cause of the disorder, and the length of time the syndrome has been present. Major symptoms can include weakness, pain, muscle atrophy, loss of sensation, and loss of deep tendon reflexes. If the autonomic nerves are involved, symptoms might include some urinary incontinence, increased constipation, and sometimes when you stand up going from a sitting or lying position to stand up, your blood pressure might fall. Um, People describe uh, neuropathic uh, sensations or pain in different ways, numbness, tingling or flickering, burning or a sensation of raw skin, um, uh, excessive coldness, hot shoot- shooting electric shock type uh, sensations, itching, squeezing or tugging, or sometimes just a deep, dull, bone-like ache. Other things that people can have is they're very sensitive to touch. So uh, a touch which would normally cause pain, for example, if you just stroke the uh, upper part of your hand, um, someone uh, with a a, a neuropathic pain could find that intensely uh, painful. Or sometimes there's an exaggerated response to a normally fairly painful stimuli. So if you pinch yourself, that can become incredibly painful. And also it's not uncommon that people complain of cold intolerance. Because there are several causes of peripheral neuropathy, having the right diagnosis is absolutely essential because that will affect treatment. It's very important that you have any of the sensations that I've described, that you let your your doctor or nurse know, um, particularly if you're in active treatment, in active therapy, your chemotherapy regimen may need to be adjusted, but also the symptom itself needs to be treated. Most painful neuropathies associated with cancer treatment are caused by damage to peripheral nerves from one of three causes. Surgery, for example, a mastectomy, a lumpectomy, lymph node uh, dissection, or lung surgery, a thoracotomy, certain chemotherapeutic agents, and radiation therapy. Other causes of neuropathy include a tumor pressing on a nerve, so irritating or damaging the nerve, infections such as herpes zoster, Chronic conditions such as diabetes mellitus, which can cause a neuropathy in its own right, and sometimes just trauma, yanking on a nerve, can cause damage and then a neuropathic pain. Oh, just a word about post-mastectomy pain syndrome. That's characterized by these burning or shooting and electric shock-like sensations in the skin around the surgical site. It occurs in anywhere from 5 to 20% of women after a mastectomy, and it can really, for some people, be quite severe and disabling. Uh, individuals often don't talk about it, but it's important that we know about it so that it can be treated. And treatment includes physical therapy and uh, different pain medications. Radiation-induced neuropathy was much more common uh, several decades ago, Uh, Now, the radiation therapy is much more fine-tuned, so it occurs less commonly. But in the past, weakness of the arm could incur many years after radiation therapy, and arm pain could develop several years after radiation therapy course completed. Chemotherapy-induced polyneuropathy or peripheral neuropathy is caused by a process which affects many nerves because the chemotherapy affects many of the nerves and therefore you get symptoms on either side of the body. Often, a peripheral neuropathy associated with chemotherapy starts in the feet and progresses to the hands and the term that's used is a stocking glove distribution. Several classes of chemotherapy drugs can cause peripheral neuropathy. These include vincristin and vimblastin, paclitaxel cisplatin, carboplatin, and oxyplatin. And really, uh, there's research going on now that is focusing on why this occurs and looking at the role of inflammation, Uh, but this isn't clearly understood. The development of both short-term and long-term peripheral neuropathies Um, is highly dependent on several factors. For example, age. The older the person, the more likely they are to develop uh, a peripheral neuropathy. The dose intensity of the chemotherapy, the single-dose intensity, and the cumulative doses over time, the number of doses you've had. Whether there's been a combination of neurotoxic agents, which are toxic to the nerves. And also, if you have a coexisting neuropathy. For example, if you're a diabetic and have neuropathy associated with that. In addition, uh, some people are genetically susceptible to neuropathy or if there's uh, alcohol use or if you don't metabolize drugs in the same way that other people do. Because of this, uh, because of these predisposing factors uh, and some of the reasons that some people uh, develop the peripheral neuropathy, it's very important that people are screened uh, uh, both uh, before receiving chemotherapy and during the chemotherapy process. Um, Times of importance, then, are prior to initiating chemotherapy and ongoing after treatment with such agents have been started. It's critically important because if you start to develop peripheral neuropathy, if your neuropathy gets worse, then your chemotherapy regimen may need to be changed or adjusted. When one's assessing neuropathic pain, it fits into the... um, general uh, assessment of other pain complaints too because some person people may have pain unrelated to the peripheral neuropathy and then peripheral neuropathy on top of that so the, the person who's experiencing the pain is the expert on the intensity of the pain and the impact of the pain on themselves as an individual you'll be asked by your clinician things like the site or sites of the pain the quality of the pain and those things that I describe, sharp shooting, electric shock burning, would make the clinician think of neuropathic pain straight away. What makes the pain worse? What makes the pain better? For example, when you're out in the cold, does that make it worse? And when you uh, have a warm gloves on, it feels better. When the pain started, do you have any other symptoms? For example, does your, do your legs feel more warm? do um, uh, you notice an, an altered uh, hair growth on your extremities, for example? And then how much interference with function does this neuropathy cause? So you're the expert on the pain experiences and the impact on you as an individual. The team, the clinicians, doctors, nurses, uh, uh, physical therapists, rehabilitationists, they're the experts in sorting out the cause of the pain and then arriving at management approaches. Uh, The sort of examination you'll often have, as well as the history, is for the sensory exam. You'll be uh, examined for the touch, and if you're extra sensitive to touch, uh, pinpricks, temperature, uh, a a tuning fork will often... uh, test the vibrations in your toes, and your reflexes, your tendon reflexes will be tested. And most of you or several of you will be familiar with that um, when your oncologist uh, tests your, your knee reflexes and say, I just can't get them. Uh, from uh, the motor nerves point of view, your muscle uh, bulk and tone will be looked at, your muscle strength, your coordination, and how you walk, so you'll be asked to walk. Um, From the autonomic uh, system, uh, things which we looked at are your limb temperature, if you've got any difference in sweating, any difference in hair and nail growth, and any difference uh, in color, your skin color. The approach to treatment then is to come up with the right diagnosis to treat the underlying cause if you can and to treat the symptoms. So to improve physical functioning, to reduce psychological distress by getting rid of the pain as much as possible and to improve overall quality of life. There are uh, 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 several treatments, both pharmacological and non-pharmacological. The pharmacological treatments, uh, first are the co-analgesics. And the drugs we use, these are drugs which were not designed to manage neuropathic pain, but are found to be very helpful. Examples are the antidepressants, such as uh, nortriptyline, uh, amitriptyline, And the analgesic effects are not dependent on the antidepressant effects. So you're being given them for the pain, uh, not for depression. Certainly if you're uh, very um, um, exhausted by ongoing pain, then they can be useful for depression too. Anticonvulsants have also been found to be helpful for neuropathic pain, although the analgesic mechanism is not clearly understood. And examples of these type of drugs are gabapentin or Neurontin and pregabalin or Lyrica. And then steroids can be used if there's very severe pain as a temporary measure while coming up with a long-term plan because of the adverse effects of steroids with long-term use. We also use local um, uh, topical treatments um, extracted from chili peppers, capsaicin, um, a local anesthetic cream called Emla, and then a topical lidocaine patch, a 5% patch, can be very useful. The patch, remember, the lidocaine patch for pain, neuropathic pain, is put over the site of the pain. If you're using an analgesic patch like a fentanyl patch for a different type of pain, it's not put over the site of the pain, so that's the difference. Opioid drugs are also used, and the choice of the drug depends on your exposure to these drugs in the past or your analgesic history. Um, Various combinations or formulations are used, long-acting, short-acting. Um, creams and patches, and we can use various routes of administration if necessary. Always try to use the oral route as the simplest, but the rectal, the patch, um, transbuccal or transmucosal routes can also be used, and occasionally uh, infusions either intravenously or subcutaneously. And we use a variety of opioids, again, depending on your history. Morphine, oxycodone, fentanyl, methadone are just some examples. Some of the non-pharmacological options we use are relaxation therapy, imagery. For example, of imagery, if someone has a lot of burning component of the pain, just imagine this cool blue water going over the site of the pain and driving the pain out of the body. Sometimes biofeedback is used, information about the cause of the pain and how we're managing it, and what you can do is very important, meditation. Um, Sometimes acupuncture has been used and also a transcutaneous nerve stimulator. Occasionally, we'll use more invasive um, approaches like a neural blockade or um, uh, a stimulatory technique like a spinal cord stimulation, but that's much more unusual. So in summary, having the right diagnosis is essential. It's extremely important that you let your doctor or nurse know about these symptoms don't assume that the symptoms are to be expected and self-medicate with across-the-counter drugs. And if an in active treatment, the treatment regimen of your chemotherapy may need to be adjusted, but also the symptom itself uh, needs to be treated. Keep a, a record, a diary of the pattern of the symptoms, when it first started, what makes it better or worse, have you had it in the past, if so, was it treated, how effective was the treatment, and if it affects your ability to walk, sleep, move, do errands, etc., Make sure you're not taking anything toxic. For example, uh, uh, alcohol is um, toxic to the nerves and can make uh, neuropathy worse. If you're a diabetic, be sure your blood sugars are under control. Keep ahead of the pain. Um, So I'll stop here. um, And uh, thank you.
2: Thank you very much, Dr. Quill, for just a really um, outstanding and very, very informative presentation. I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. Um, Our next speaker is Dr. Julie Silver. Uh, Dr. Silver is Assistant Professor, Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, Harvard Medical School. And she is going to address how physical medicine contributes to evaluating neuropathy, medical and rehabilitation management of neuropathy, and practical tips to cope. Dr. Silver?
0: Thank you, Carolyn. Um, Again, it's it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me to uh, speak. Um, One thing that I think it's really helpful for people to understand is that there are doctors who specialize in physical medicine and rehabilitation, and those doctors are called physiatrists or physiatrists. And um, doctors who specialize in uh, physical medicine and rehabilitation can be very helpful uh, to those who are suffering from Uh, problems with pain, um, problems with balance, coordination, uh, fatigue, weakness, decreased endurance, all of these different things that that, uh, people who are undergoing cancer treatment or have undergone cancer treatment may be experiencing. And one of the things that we do is to work with other people, other rehabilitation professionals like physical therapists, occupational therapists, uh, social workers, and so on, to help facilitate care. We often work as a team. We we make certain recommendations and then um, write orders for tests. We write orders for physical therapy, occupational therapy, and so on. So it's great for uh, your listeners to know that there are resources in terms of physicians who specifically specialize in this. And a website that uh, contains a list of doctors who specialize in physical medicine and rehabilitation in the United States is www.aapmr.org. And that's the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Medicine, www.aapmr.org. And there's a little map, and you can click on the map, and you can find a doctor in your area. One of the things that is really interesting that's that's coming up now in the research is that we're focusing a lot on the effects not only of pain from neuropathy, but function. And uh, one of the recent studies uh, was looking at um, how uh, women with breast cancer um, who were treated with chemotherapy functioned in terms of their balance and coordination. So when we break down... The, the treatment for neuropathy, and, and we're thinking about that, we're really thinking about how much pain does someone have and how much is this interfering with their function, whether the pain is interfering with function, and even if they don't have very much pain, do they have problems from the neuropathy that is affecting their balance and coordination, and for example, if you do a six-minute walk test, which is a test where people walk back and forth for six minutes and you time it, and you do balance tests before the six-minute walk test and after the six-minute walk test, many times in cancer survivors you'll find that they do much more poorly after the six-minute walk test when they're tired. When they're a little bit tired, their balance tends to get worse, and often this is, this is a clue to neuropathy. So we're really looking at at treating pain and making people more comfortable, but we're also looking at how they function. We do use medications, Uh, not only medications, though, to help with pain, because neuropathy is related to two other things that are very important. One is problems with sleep, and two is problems with mood. Whenever someone's in pain their mood is often worse and their sleep is worse, and vice versa. It goes sort of circular. These things all affect one another. If you help to improve their pain, usually their sleep will help to be improved, and their mood often improves as well. So you want to be treating all three at the same time. You want to be asking someone, how are you sleeping at night? Are you, are you sleeping well? Do you feel rested when you get up? Um, how is your mood? Are you feeling optimistic and hopeful? How is your pain? Is your pain affecting your sleep at night? Are you discouraged? Are you not able to do the things that you want to do? So it's important not to treat neuropathy in isolation, but to treat the whole person. And by the way, these things really affect other problems that cancer survivors complain about, such as fatigue. So you help someone with their pain, you help someone with their mood, you help someone with their sleep, and all of a sudden their fatigue improves dramatically, which doesn't mean that you can get rid of the problems, but the goal is to treat them as well as possible. So physiatrists, they can prescribe medications. They can evaluate patients. They can prescribe physical therapy, occupational therapy, to help with things like functional exercises that have to do with balance and coordination. They can also recommend adaptive equipment, such as large-handled tools, um, voice-activated software, electric can openers, paper plates, utensils, and so on, that, um, so someone avoids doing a lot of lifting and, and organizing and, and getting things out for a meal, for instance. These kinds of things can also help with fatigue, and, and what I tell my patients is to avoid doing too many chores to really focus your energy and your, your, the, the things that you do on those things that are meaningful to you. So it it often is really nice to just use paper plates and plastic utensils and throw them away at the end of the meal and not have to do the dishes and and, um, lift heavy things and so on. TENS units are used. That's transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation, and it's spelled T-E-N-S for short. TENS units are these little, almost like a cell phone device that you can uh, carry around like you would a cell phone clipped to your belt. And it has these little wires and sticky things that you put on your, on your back or on your leg or wherever um, you want. And there's little signals that are given off by this machine that help to diminish the pain feelings that you're experiencing. When you're using a TENS unit, um, it, it helps with the pain for that period of time. It doesn't help with the pain later, and it's not treating the pain per se. It's just, it's just making you experience the pain a little bit less. And often people like that. Um, usually the way you, that you get a TENS unit is that your doctor writes you a physical or an occupational therapy order, and you have a TENS trial in the clinic. And then if it seems to work for you, then uh, your doctor can write orders so that you get the actual unit. I have patients who order them off the Internet as well. Um, that's not usually what I recommend, but that's, that is done, and certainly um, someone could try it that way as well. Surgery is usually not done for neuropathy, but it can be in some instances. So, for instance, if you have um, neuropathy in lots of different nerves from, say, chemotherapy, chemotherapy chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy, which is often um, shortened to CIPN, then you wouldn't do surgery for that. But let's say you are a breast cancer survivor, such as a patient that I had, and she actually developed lymphedema. And then the the swelling um, compressed one of the nerves in her her wrist, which is the median nerve, which caused carpal tunnel syndrome. The median nerve at the wrist is the, the nerve that causes carpal tunnel syndrome. And what happened with this is that she developed pretty severe carpal tunnel syndrome, and we tried a wrist splint at night, and we tried different things, and they didn't work. And she wasn't able to drive to work. And she literally was was very impaired, and she was um, not able to return to work, not able to pay her bills, was um, facing having to go out on disability, all because she had this severe carpal tunnel syndrome. And the question in my mind, of course, was, should we risk doing surgery on this woman who has lymphedema? And ultimately, I decided that the risk was worth the benefit. I, I talked to the patient at length and said, this could worsen your lymphedema, but surgery is an option, and I think it's one we should seriously consider because you're so disabled by this carpal tunnel syndrome. And in fact, surgery did temporarily make her lymphedema a little bit worse, but I put her right back into physical therapy, and it was controlled, and she did very well, and she was able to drive comfortably, and the surgery worked extremely well, as it often does with carpal tunnel syndrome. So surgery can be, an exam, can be um, done in, in certain uh, situations, such as what I've described. Let me focus um, my final advice on ten practical tips uh, that I often offer my patients. Number one, sit down when you can, especially at parties or sporting events when you're standing there for long periods of time. If someone offers you a chair or you can sit down and put your feet up, do that, even if it's just for a few minutes. I'm not saying that that people shouldn't move around and they should become very sedentary. But what I am saying is when you're just standing somewhere and you're not really moving around, it is a good idea to see if there's a place you can sit and just get off your feet for a few minutes. Number two, wear cushioned inserts and replace the ones that you have periodically. So if you've got um, orthotics and you can get these off the shelf, meaning you can go to the store and you can buy them or you can have a podiatrist make them, or there's different ways to get them. But um, if you've got them a long time ago, chances are that um, you've compressed any cushioning there is. And by a long time ago, it really depends. Sometimes orthotics will last for a couple of years, especially the ones that are made by podiatrists, and um, sometimes they'll last just a few weeks if they're ones that you bought off the shelf and and they're very squishy. Number three, wear running shoes or sneakers, and if you're already doing that, replace the ones you have, especially if you have had them longer than six months. Also, what I recommend is that you keep your shoes on in the house and you don't go barefoot. It's really hard on your feet to go barefoot, and I know some people don't want to wear shoes in the house, so maybe you can switch to house shoes or some kind of comfortable shoes um, that that you wear in the house. Number four is try rocker-bottom soles. And rocker bottom is spelled R-O-C-K-E-R, and then the next word is B-O-T-T-O-M. And a rocker bottom sole is really like a rocking horse, if you think about how a rocking horse works and it, and it goes back and forth. Um, that's how the bottom of the shoe is made. And you want a gentle slope to the shoe. And what happens is your foot doesn't have to bend very much, and it, you just sort of rocker over every step. You just gently rock through your gait. And that's a great thing for people with neuropathy. You can take shoes you already have to a cobbler, and they can put a rocker bottom on those shoes. Most shoes, can be, you can add a rocker bottom to it. What I tell my patients to do is take their second favorite pair of shoes to the cobbler and ask him to put a gentle rocker on it and then see how that works for them. You can also buy sneakers and other shoes off the internet um, that have rocker bottom soles. I caution people a little about that because some of them are very steeply rockered and it's almost like they propel you forward too much. So you have to be a little bit careful about that. Number five, use stress mats in your kitchen and other places where you're standing. By stress mats, I mean uh, cushioned mats. You can find them at bed and bath stores Um, I like a very spongy cushion mat rather than a hard carpet because you can also find hard carpets at bed and bath stores. And actually, the the nicest cushion mat mat I've ever seen is in uh, the beauty parlor where I go to, and the um, hairstylist stands on them. They have them for everyone, and, and it's got a nice Um, slope that that starts at the bottom and and goes up so you don't really trip on it, and then it's very, very cushioned. So um, if you're really into getting great stress mats, you can look in catalogs or on the Internet for those that um, hairstylists use. Number six, put grab bars in your bathroom and in your shower. Um, That's great for everyone. Bathrooms and showers are really slippery. People with neuropathy tend not to have um, perfect sensation and perfect balance. And even when people do have perfect sensation and balance, they're at risk for falls in the bathroom. So really everyone should have grab bars in the bathroom and in, in the shower. Number seven is remove any throw rugs, especially slippery throw rugs in your house, and try to level out any thresholds between rooms so that you're not tripping as you walk from one room to another. Also remove clutter. Number eight, is to exercise. Exercise really does make everything better. It gives you strength, endurance, it lessens fatigue, it helps you with your balance and coordination, and it's really great for your mood. Number nine, as I mentioned earlier, is that sleep is important. And if there's something that keeping, that's keeping you up, it's because you're anxious, whether um, you are um, ha- having pain, whether you are having hot flashes, um, so sleep is, sleep is something very important to address. And you should address it with your doctor as well. That's, that's an important thing to be talking about with your doctor. Um, every single oncologist um, hears that their patients are tired. But tell your doctor specifically that not only are you tired, but that you really want to talk about how you're sleeping. And number 10, take your medications early. Um, Dr. Coyle mentioned um, don't get behind the pain. And any medications that you take regularly, you should take regularly and not miss doses. But medications that you take as needed, those PRN medications, like maybe acetaminophen or ibuprofen or things like that, take them early in the day before you have too much pain, and they work much better. Thank you.
2: Well, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Silver, for just such wonderful information and and fantastic tips for everybody to think about and to to implement them. And I know there will be great questions for you during the Q&A as well. Thank you. Our next speaker is Dr. John Steinberg. Uh, Dr. Steinberg is Assistant Professor, Department of Plastic Surgery, the Center for Wound Healing, Georgetown University Hospital. And he's going to address special care of your feet, skin, and nails. Dr. Steinberg?
4: Carolyn, thank you and uh, greetings everyone. Uh, pleasure to be here. Uh, Dr. Silver and Dr. Coyle have just uh, done a wonderful job of, of setting up this stage for us and I, I want to, uh, as a podiatrist, uh, focus us in uh, particularly on skin and nail concerns uh, of your feet and also similar statements would certainly apply to your upper extremities or your hands. But uh, I'd like to give us kind of a focused approach towards uh, how neuropathy can affect your extremities and, uh, and tell you perhaps some simple things that you can do to uh, help avoid difficulties from that. I think it's important to understand, uh, as been, has been mentioned previously in this call, the different types of neuropathy. And, of course, we're talking here mostly about peripheral sensory neuropathy, uh, which we can, can uh, divide up into kind of a painful group or a numb group. Uh, But there are two other types of neuropathy that that, uh, can oftentimes go uh, together with uh, patients who have nerve difficulties, and that is autonomic neuropathy, uh, which affects your, uh, uh, your sympathetic nervous system and affects your ability to sweat and hydrate and maintain your skin and affects your ability to heal from something like a surgical incision or a wound. And then the third uh, type of neuropathy is a motor neuropathy, which uh, is not usually as of much concern uh, to to our topic today, but it certainly can be related. Anyone who has nerve difficulty, uh, whether we're talking about sensory nerve versus motor nerve, this can have a similar pathway for uh, a challenge. So I I just want to open it up by saying that we, we do have three different types of neuropathy we're looking at, sensory, autonomic, and motor neuropathy. Now, my discussion is going to be focused mostly on sensory neuropathy, as as the majority of this call has been, and and this is where most of the symptoms and uh, everyday concerns come to with someone who's challenged with neuropathy. Now, I mentioned that uh, sensory neuropathy can be broken up into a painful subset and a a non-painful or a numb subset, uh, generally in the earlier stages of neuropathy or nerve damage, and I, incidentally a, a neuropathy is just a very general term for uh, a, a malfunction of the nerve. It doesn't tell us why it happened, how it happened, what uh, what, and where in the chain of the nerve the problem is, so it's a very general medical term that sometimes is used poorly or wrongly and I would just caution you to to watch out and, and try to be more specific uh, with, with what exactly uh, is the anatomic problem uh, that you or a family member or someone you know may be facing where is it in the in the nerve system uh... and uh, and exactly uh... what what part of the nervous system has been affected and how uh... we're not always able to give those answers but some of that is pretty readily known by your providers and would be helpful to know so the the first uh... symptoms usually of peripheral neuropathy are pain uh... and these uh... can oftentimes present as a tingling or burning sensation Sometimes they're more subtle. It's almost like uh, you have uh, uh, patients relate or complain to us about the sensation of bugs or ants crawling on their extremities, and that sounds kind of strange, but it gives you a visualization towards what they're feeling. There certainly isn't anything on their feet, but they're feeling the sensation that something's moving or something's tingling or burning there uh, when there's obviously no actual stimulus to cause that. Uh, Now, painful sensory neuropathy can be treated in many different ways. uh, and uh, we talked about some of the medications, uh, both uh, tablets uh, that you would take by mouth versus uh, creams and topicals you would utilize. Uh, but probably the most concerning for us uh, uh, has, has been uh, the fact of loss of protective sensation or the the numb type of sensory neuropathy. Uh, this type of uh, what we call loss of protective sensation, or L-O-P-S, uh, if someone has LOPS and, and complete loss of protective sensation, it means just that. They're, they're so numb and they have so little nerve function, particularly when we're talking about the feet, that they're literally not able to feel pain. And uh, while this may seem kind of uh, like a better type of neuropathy to have than, than someone who's struggling with terrible pain in the evenings or pain during the day from, from painful neuropathy, uh, in fact, the true sensory loss neuropathy it can be much more devastating. And the the challenges can be much much more difficult to work with, uh, and that is because if you literally have no protection or no feeling on your feet, then you can do damage to your feet, or you can have an infection in your feet without realizing that. Uh, so injury and trauma become major concerns. Uh, the uh, the envelope of protection around your feet, uh, including socks and shoes, and what surface you're walking on, becomes a major concern. Uh, And the the, uh, secondary effects from this can include uh, joint difficulties in the foot where because the nerve function and muscle function is all improper, the support is not there, and uh, the amount of body weight that goes through your foot joints on a daily basis just from normal walking can actually cause what's called neuropathic osteoarthropathy, uh, or better known as Charcot joint disease, C-H-A-R-C-O-T, Charcot joint disease. Uh, And that means that you actually start to lose structure of the foot. The mechanics or the physics of your foot start to collapse, and most commonly seen with the loss of the arch. Uh, We had mentioned just a few moments ago about rocker-bottom shoes. Uh, The foot itself becomes rocker-bottom, where instead of having a concavity of an arch, you end up with a convexity uh, of an arch. And, of course, your foot's uh, not intended to bear this type of pressure, and therefore you end up with skin breakdown and potential for infection. Uh, the, uh, the risk for infection uh, goes up significantly in someone who has neuropathy, and, and simple steps can be taken to mitigate those risks, uh, and, uh, and uh, we'll talk about some more of those in just a moment. I want to talk some more about the actual skin changes that we see n- with neuropathy, and this can be from a combination of the effects from sensory neuropathy as well as what we mentioned earlier, one of those other three types, autonomic neuropathy. Uh, Your skin, in order to maintain its uh, composition and prevent itself from breaking down and drying and scaling and fissuring and opening up, uh, requires uh, moisture. And uh, your sweat glands produce this moisture on a regular basis without you having to think about it or do anything. Uh, When you have neuropathy, uh, this can stop or this can decrease. And therefore, if your skin loses its normal hydration and its ability to protect itself by keeping moisture in the deep layers of the skin, then you get these deep fissures or caverns in the skin. You get peeling, dryness, scaling, uh, and you, you can see the visible effects from it. But again, since you have uh, potentially numbness associated with it, you may not necessarily feel pain associated with this. The other type of skin changes that we can see commonly in the feet would be color changes and atrophy. Uh, atrophy meaning loss of... Uh, thickness or loss of fat pad, one of the few places in your body where we do really want a lot of fat is in your feet. Uh, We want a lot of cushion to walk on and to protect your bones from uh, having pain or protect your bones from traumatizing the skin and causing a a wound. So uh, this uh, can oftentimes, this atrophy that can go together with neuropathy uh, can weaken uh, the skin by preventing that thickness of, uh, of padding between the skin and the bone structure. Uh, Another concerning factor uh, relating to color changes uh, in the feet can be uh, uh, the fact that persons with neuropathy uh, have a higher predilection for uh, uh, circulatory problems as well. And this can include uh, Raynaud's disease, which I'm sure many of you have heard of or or, uh, seen individuals that have this, or some of you may be challenged with this yourself, where you have these uh, red, white, blue, purple color changes to the skin, and it's oftentimes very much temperature or cold sensitive. In addition to skin changes, we see a lot of nail changes uh, in the feet, and uh, this can very much be associated with neuropathy. And literature has proven that uh, persons with neuropathy, particularly sensory neuropathy, have a higher incidence of nail trauma, nail infection, and nail fungus. Uh, The the medical term for nail fungus is onychomycosis, uh, and onychomycosis uh, uh, presents as a oftentimes a darkening or a yellowing of the nail. Uh, Sometimes there's like a white film under the nail, and then you get a lot of thickness and debris or crumbling of material that comes out from the nail. Uh, This is not only a cosmetic concern, but also the thickness of this nail, uh, as opposed to the normal nail plate, can take up space in shoe gear, it can become a pressure source for an ulceration. Something as simple as a fungal toenail in someone with neuropathy can actually become a significant concern for infection. we mentioned earlier the blood flow concerns, and, and we certainly some of the theories in regards to neuropathy uh, dictate that much of the uh, changes that we see or, or uh, causes of neuropathy can actually start off as, as very minute blood flow changes or microvascular disease, uh, and this, these can seem to go together. Uh, which one comes first, uh, science is still debating that out. Uh, treatments for this... Uh, Uh, particularly focusing on skin uh, concerns, you want to replace the hydration that you've lost. Uh, Some of the the, uh, -the over-the-counter creams that we recommend the most are something like an Aquaphor or an Eucerin, something that's a nice, thick cream, almost like a uh, Vaseline-type cream that's going to really stay on. And for persons who have really challenging uh, hydration difficulties, we recommend that they use those creams under occlusion. So you'll apply this onto your feet You'll put a piece of saran wrap or plastic wrap over it after you've applied the lotion and put your socks on while you sleep so that this, uh, rather than evaporating, will actually penetrate the deeper layers of the skin. So some of those simple items can certainly make a big difference. Uh, For your nails, uh, if there is some fungal change or an infection or an ingrown toenail that occurs, uh, certainly these can be medically treated or sometimes surgically treated uh, to try and rid the fungus and treat whatever infection might be presenting. Uh, just to review some of the basics and, and very practical pointers uh, that have been uh, mentioned earlier, and I'll just reemphasize them because they're so important. It's something that I think everyone on this call can actually take away with them as far as what are you going to do differently about your behavior or what are you going to recommend uh, to your family member or friend to do differently. Uh, when it comes to neuropathy, particularly sensory neuropathy, uh, the checklist of, of things to do is, is key. Uh, and inspecting your feet daily, although it sounds simple, uh, is a key problem because if you want to pick up on an infection early, then you need to be looking for that infection, and that's going to be a daily foot inspection. Uh, When washing your feet, you want to watch uh, to make sure that you don't step into a tub of hot water. Given that lack of sensation, the water may be steaming hot where you feel that it's only warm, so you want to test water temperature with your hand or wrist, where you'll have less effect of the uh, sensory loss. Uh, We want to make sure that you replace the moisturizing that we talked about earlier. Nail cutting, if you can't do it safely, then you need to have uh, your medical provider do that for you. Uh, and uh, we generally don't recommend anyone to trim their corns or calluses if they have neuropathy. Uh, bathroom surgery uh, usually uh, leads to uh, hospital surgery because of infection complications from the wounds that can result. Now, something as simple as like a pet egg or an emery board, of course, is not a problem, but we're talking here about persons taking out uh, razor blades and trying to trim off their calluses when they have no sensation. That's generally a bad combination. Uh, 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 wearing the right type of socks and putting that Right protective envelope around your feet is key. Uh, check your shoes before you put your feet into them. Uh, we've uh, had some uh, really uh, uh, crazy medical stories of things that are found inside persons' shoes that have neuropathy because you can't feel it. Uh, missing car keys and uh, pagers have been known to present in persons' shoes, uh, much uh, as that sounds like it wouldn't be possible. Uh, And then finally, something that seems like common sense here, but if you have sensory neuropathy and particularly if you have to the degree that you have loss of protective sensation where you literally can't feel pain on the bottom of your feet, then you really should never walk barefoot. Uh, You need to have that protective envelope uh, of a uh, shoe and a sock to protect you and to help uh, make up the difference for the sensation that's been lost. I thank everyone for your time and uh, turn it over to the next speaker.
2: Well, thank you very much, Dr. Steinberg, again, for this wonderful presentation and wonderful tips for people. So um, I know there will be questions during the Q&A. And uh, our last speaker before we take questions is Glenn Mucci. And Glenn is an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care, and he is our pain services program coordinator at Cancer Care. I'm now going to turn the program over to Glenn, and he's going to talk about some of the services that you can access from Cancer Care. Glenn?
5: Uh, thank you, Carolyn. Uh, peripheral neuropathy can present many challenges, which can feel overwhelming at times and impact our quality of life. Uh, We may find ourselves faced with many questions and decisions that have to be made insofar as our care is concerned. Uh, Cancer Care is one such organization that can offer support. Uh, Cancer Care provides free individual counseling from professional oncology social workers who can walk with you and provide a listening ear. A cancer care social worker uh, can help you sort through the myriad of issues that may surround the treatment of peripheral neuropathy and your cancers. Uh, social workers can help you communicate uh, with your doctor and open doors to effective pain management, um, and they can direct you to other resources and afford you guidance as you navigate through the sometimes complex system of health care. Um, at Cancer Care, people can also gain emotional support, insight, and reassurance by participating in free telephone and online support groups. Uh, cancer Care offers these support groups to people with cancer, their families and friends, caregivers, survivors, and the bereaved. And last, uh, Cancer Care um, offers financial assistance. Uh, cancer care can help reduce the costs associated with transportation to and from treatment, home care, child care, and in some instances for pain medications related to a person's cancer and treatment. In addition to this, a cancer care social worker can point you to other resources in your community that may offer financial assistance. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much, Glenn, and I think that you done a wonderful job in explaining some of the services that people can access from cancer care, and uh, do call us. Uh, we're here for you and um, waiting for your calls. And now we do have time for questions, and I'm going to ask Mary to explain to you how to queue up for questions. we're going to take as many of your questions as we can. Mary?
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press the star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, may press the pound key. Our first question comes from Jack.
4: I guess that's me. <laughs> I didn't hear uh, Velcate and thalidomide as potential causes for uh, uh, neuropathy as well, but my question has to do with drop foot or foot drop. And uh, I'm trying to figure out, I mean, it's not so painful until you trip, and it causes you to trip. So are the rock bottom, rocker bottom soles? Help with it for that, or is there another recommendation uh, ultimately to uh, cause uh, nerve regeneration, maybe things like that?
2: Well, thank you, Jack, for that excellent question. And Dr. Silver, could you address the issue of drop foot? Sure. Explain what that is to everybody. And
0: sure. Um, drop foot is. is um, Simply when, when um, as you're going through your gait cycle, you're not able to clear your foot the way you usually do when you when you bring your toes up and your ankle up to, to clear your foot, um, sometimes it, it doesn't come up the way that you want it to, and um, you'll trip. So, and there's different reasons for that. Peripheral neuropathy is one of them. Sometimes a problem with um, a pinched nerve in the spine can cause that problem. Um, other issues can be like polio and and things like that. But um, drop foot is a is a common problem that we see in rehabilitation medicine, and one that we treat all the time. Um, there is no surgery to co- to correct drop foot in general. Um, usually, the treatment has to do with orthotics, um, but not shoe orthotics. It has to be um, something that usually goes above the ankle, um, some kind of a brace. The most common brace that's used is called called an ankle foot orthosis or AFO. But we we use some braces that are really neat um, that some people love that's a lot less than an AFO, which is a brace that goes under the foot and then all the way up the back of the leg and is plastic. Um, we use these braces that actually are velcro and they wrap around the ankle and then they tie to the shoe and have this little elastic that um, helps keep the foot up so that's an example and you might not be able to picture that it's kind of hard to pick, to imagine what that looks like but it's There's a lot of different types of braces that can be used, and for someone with neuropathy, you don't always want the brace touching the foot, and that's a a neat little brace that is um, not very invasive or obtrusive and works really well. So, again, if you're not sure what to do, um, consider seeing a doctor who specializes in rehabilitation medicine.
2: Excellent. Thank you so much. Excellent. Our next question, please. Our next question comes from Michelle
1: Hi, this is a question for Dr. Silver. Um you recommended using um wearing running shoes or sneakers. I have peripheral neuropathy and um running shoes and sneakers are good for about 5 minutes and then my foot starts feeling very tingly and I, after a while um if walking on a long time I get shooting pains. And so I feel like there's a conflict between having a closed supportive shoe and like wearing sandals where your foot feels more comfortable. Do you have any suggestions about how to <laughs>
2: That's a great question, Michelle. Thank you. Dr. Yeah, Soler?
0: That's actually a really great point. And one of the things I should have said, um, uh, which it reminds me, thank you, is that in general um, you want an extra width and an extra depth shoe if you're going to have a closed shoe. Um, you know, some people tell me, Uh, these are the only shoes I can walk in or these are really comfortable and I love these or these are the shoes that I don't trip in and so on. And I'm really respectful of what my patients tell me because they're so smart about their bodies. So if someone tells me, I love these shoes, they're really comfortable, this really works for me and my balance is good and so on, um, you know, I I really pay attention to that. But I would recommend that you consider, I mean, certainly in the winter, I live in Boston, it's snowy, it's, it's hard to wear an open shoe, um, I, would, I would at least recommend considering some kind of softer sole um, that that does have extra depth and extra width, and you might find that when your foot isn't um, so tight in the shoe that it's more comfortable for you.
2: Excellent. Thank you. These are excellent questions. Our next question, please. Our next question comes from Allison. Yes, I'd
1: like to know whether lymphoma has anything
5: to do with the
2: whether lymphoma has anything to do with neuropathy. Uh, Dr. Silver, do you want to?
0: Sure. Um, Lymphoma, certainly um, the treatment for lymphoma can affect um, your nerves. And, um, you know, every person's diagnosis is different and all the treatment regimens are different. But as Dr. Coyle said, um, you know, one of the main causes of um, neuropathy is chemotherapy. So um, certainly the treatment for lymphoma can be a factor.
2: Excellent. Our next question. Our next question comes from Barbara R.
1: Hi. Thank you for your information and for taking my call. Uh, My husband deals with peripheral neuropathy. He's a recurrent esophageal cancer patient. I, on the other hand, um, for the past 10 years and forever, I am afflicted with post lymph node dissection pain syndrome similar to the post-mastectomy pain that uh, the first doctor alluded to, Um, and it emanates from the underarm node dissection, agony, mid-chest to fingertips, Um, and most of us who are afflicted with this have pretty extensive lymphedema too, as do I on my whole left side, and it's making inroads on my right,
2: and your uh, question?
1: Oh, the question. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I just was wondering if there's any support group uh, paint for patients who have been disabled by um, permanent um, neuropathic pain from surgical injuries. I am a volunteer telephone for Wyme, H&R Block, RSD. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, and I've only been able to network with seven other women in the past ten years.
2: So, your question is Is there a support group for other women with similar concerns that you have?
1: Right. There's so few of us. There's like 7% of no dissected women. Or any patients adversely affected by neuropathies from surgery. Okay.
2: Thank you for that quite excellent question. I'm going to ask, um, Glenn, if you could address that question in terms of just the
5: individual or uh, our support group counseling that might be available. Um, as far as support groups go, um, I, I was just listening to your question, and uh, the American Pain Foundation uh, would be a good resource to uh, reach out to. Uh, They offer, I'm not sure if they offer face-to-face support groups, but they might be able to locate one in uh, your local area. Uh, But they do offer telephone, and they do, I believe, offer online support groups. Um, Also, too, I don't know if uh, you have have reached out to uh, the National Lymphedema Network, Uh, but they might be able to, you know, refer you uh, to local area resources. And also, too, um, you know, give cancer care a call. um, You know, where you could speak with a social worker, and then you know, we could more, you know, spend a little more time uh, with you and help you locate resources and tell you more about, you know, the online support groups, the telephone support groups that we offer, as well as the individual counselling.
3: I would add to that, if I may, that that um, uh, that for a long time, women who had Um, lymph node dissection, neuropathic pain, didn't really talk about it. So it's really only relatively recently it's become well-recognized and people are being asked about it. So I think as well as a a support group, I think that, again, it's very important to manage the pain with a variety of not only of uh, pain medicines but also uh, looking at ways of controlling lymphedema and with uh, physical therapy actually can be enormously in their special lymphedema clinics that can be extremely helpful. So I think as well as a support group, I think it's important to see if we can can get the pain itself and the disability associated with that and with the lymphedema under better control. That's such an important point, uh, Dr. Coyle, actually, that you're sure
2: to get the best medical management. And Dr. Silva, do you want to comment on that as well? I agree
0: that I've seen a lot of patients um, who come in with lymphedema, and they, they may not have been treated for years for their lymphedema, and they're, they're simply wearing sleeves and so on and um, uh, repeating uh, or starting uh, lymphedema treatment again and then wrapping at night rather than just using sleeves all the time can really make a difference in some cases. It just depends. But um, having an evaluation, even if you haven't had an evaluation for a long time and you've been a cancer survivor sort of struggling for the last five years or eight years or ten years or whatever it is, um, it, sometimes it's really worthwhile to go back in and sit your doctor down and say, here, I have these problems. I really want to talk to you about what help can you offer me.
2: You know, this is such an important topic. We we actually could do a program on that topic alone because it's so critically important, particularly with the new advances in, in care and, and available treatments. Well, I actually want to thank um, all of our speakers. They've just been extraordinary. I want to really give you all a big round of applause from all of us on the call today. You've just been extraordinary and most informative. And I also want to thank all of you who have asked such really excellent questions, thoughtful questions. Um, we know you ask the questions to get some help yourself, but in asking them, you end up helping everybody on the call. And you also enable the speakers to elaborate on the issues that you've raised and bring up some additional points. Now, I want to remind you that this is a one-hour workshop and that in planning a program like this, we recognize that you have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one hour. So with that in mind, I again want to bring you back to the fact that although this program will be ending very shortly, the services that you can access from Cancer Care and all the different organizations that are are listed in terms of participating with us, all these free services that you can access, those continue really endlessly, and they're available to you. They're free services. The services from Cancer Care are free. You can reach us at 1-800-813-HOPE or visit our website, www.cancercare.org. We have 60 master's-level trained oncology social workers who are here to help you, and we really want to be with you every step of the way. Most importantly, you are not alone now. You are part of a community of support. Please do use that support as you need it. I want to thank you all for participating today, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the program. You may disconnect, and have a wonderful day.